You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to another edition of Break a Bat where baseball meets Broadway. I'm your host Al Malafrante coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, Today, we welcome someone who I can legitimately say is one of the most unique baseball performers to ever join us in the batter's box. Uh, He made his Major League debut in 1998 and then made a name for himself at the 2000 Summer Olympics down in Sydney, Australia, as the first baseman on Team USA, a squad that went on to beat Cuba to help bring home our country's first ever gold medal for baseball. He'd end up playing a total of 12 big league seasons, primarily for the Minnesota Twins, and he's certainly entrenched in baseball history as a uh, key cast member for the iconic 2004 world champion Boston Red Sox that broke the curse of the Bambino. Uh, That championship makes him one of only five American performers in history to win both an Olympic gold medal and a world championship. And he even got to follow that up with two seasons spent right here on Broadway for both the Mets in 05 and Yankees in 07. He's a gold glove winner. Uh, he still loves the game of baseball, and we're so grateful he could join us today. Uh, with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate. Just beyond the marquee, now batting, Doug Minkavich. Doug, what's up, brother? What's up? Key in the booze, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess Met fans would be booing, and Yankee fans, some would boo, some would cheer. But uh, this is um, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Dude, I'm cheering, man. You being on that uh, last team to play in the postseason at the old Yankee Stadium, nothing but fond memories of you, my man. Yeah, that was uh, – I was always – Yankee Stadium always held a, a, a special place. Um, my best friend growing up was a diehard Yankee fan, so I grew up just really not liking them. Um, and being a Minnesota twin and, and playing in Yankee Stadium, winning game one in there, and then obviously the Red Sox stuff and – um, and then you get a chance to put the home uniform on everything I disliked about the Yankees completely changed the first day I got there. Um, it was the most, uh, it was my outside of Minnesota was my favorite place to play. Um, Yankee stadium. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. And I, I, I always hit well, even 
as a visitor there. And I just, I love that place. And the, like the whole atmosphere, it doesn't get any better than, than old Yankee stadium. It's so funny. You talk about how well you hit at the old stadium. I remember when I first discovered you, I guess it was the year after the Olympics, you came to town with the twins. I think it was 2001. And quite frankly, I had only known a little bit about you. And I think you had like, you, you must have hit like 600 or something over the course of three games. And you left Yankee Stadium as a 400 hitter in like mid-May. I was like, oh my God, I got to watch this Minkavish guy. And like, that was, that was probably your career year too. So I was like, that re- it's a, pretty funny that Yankee Stadium in some ways might have put you on the map. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember going in there. I, I'll go one better. I, I'll go back to 1999 with my rookie year, which I was terrible. Uh, Denny Hawking was playing right field and it was my first taste of Yankee Stadium and he said Denny ran out and goes make sure you keep one ear on what they're saying to me in right field and because the bleacher the people in right field were giving them you know the usual and uh I turned around and like looked at Denny and just was going to laugh at him and as soon as I turned around I could hear them screaming like some of the most amazing like cut downs. I just, he, they, they just shredded me. They were like one home run. We have pitchers and a ball get one home run, get off the field. Man, and I was like, wow, they even like know how to pronounce my last name. And I ended up hitting a home run like later that game against uh, off of, of David Cohn. And, and uh, you still suck man, And still the crazy part about that is coming full circle being a Yankee and having them give us, give you a roll call is honestly the best and the coolest thing in sports period. I don't care what anybody says. If they could compare it to anything else, it's, you can't do it. I mean, when they go down the list and it's every night and it was one of those little things that I never took for granted. Now you mentioned your, you know, your high school baseball friends, how much did it help coming over to the Yankees and having like one of the biggest advocates or allies in the clubhouse in uh, a certain guy named uh, Alex Rodriguez? It's funny you say that. I think, I think by, by day three of spring training of that year, um, Derek and, and Jorge kind of brought me over and were kind of like, we should have brought you here sooner. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, Alex is completely different around you than he is around everybody else. And I go, cause I don't just let him be an idiot. Like when he does stupid shit, I kind of call him out for it. Like I have since I was 13 and they're like, man, I go, I go, so that's on you guys. That's like, and that's when I started giving Derek stuff. I was like, you're supposed to be this, you know, the leader and captain and all this. I go, this is the crap you're supposed to take care of before I get here. And uh, it, it, it helped. It honestly, it helped me kind of, it helped me like walk into that clubhouse and everything fit seamlessly. I, um, from Jorge and Derek, Derek grabbed me and pulled me aside the first day I was there on the, on the minor league side. and was like, anything you need, come to me. I got you. Um, so I, that was a huge help. Uh, I, I played with Johnny in high school and in, and in Boston. Um, the list goes on and on. I mean, J- Jason Jobby was like a big brother to me. Um, honestly, my biggest, my biggest, regret of my career was I got hurt that year and not winning the whole thing. Cause I really felt like I've never been personally disappointed. I would say in my entire career or life. But when I, when Brian Cashton called me and said, you know, we're not bringing you back. Like I was devastated. Uh, Cause I really felt like I was finally getting back. I was healthy. I was playing the way I was supposed to. Um, and I just felt like, 
if there's one place that appreciates what I do and how I bring it every day, it was, it was the people, it was, it was, it was New York. And as much as I had a hard time with it, with the Mets, uh, living in the city, I mean, so many things were, my, my mind was completely changed about my thought of New York and my thought of, of playing in New York. I didn't really like it. Uh, be honest with you, I was in a rough time. I just got traded from the Red Sox, trying to prove my worth with the Mets and I come to the Yankees and I was like, as much as I dislike this place, probably just because of my best friend and he, cause he liked them so much. Um, but playing there, like there was nothing. I remember sitting there when we got eliminated, like I didn't want to take the uniform off. I, I was like, I, I want to sit here till spring training. The way if they have, if they don't want to bring me back, they literally have to cut this thing off the, off, off my, off my body to take it off. You mentioned that game four of the ALDS. It's like kind of it's such a bittersweet memory for me because I consider that to be, obviously it was the last playoff series at the old Yankee Stadium, but that's like one of my last, I mean, I was a senior in high school during that series. That's like the last um, like baseball memory of my childhood, if you want to put it that way. Um, let me ask you, that team obviously got off to a pretty rough start mm-hmm. uh, in 2007. Was there a power struggle in that clubhouse when you first got there between Jeter and A-Rod? Tell me, tell me the truth on that. No, there wasn't a power struggle. I I think I I remember like, I remember literally standing up in team meetings, like in May, I think we're in Texas somewhere. They were playing, we were playing the Rangers. And I mean, here I am, I'm a nobody compared to Bobby Abreu, you know, Mo Pettit, the list goes on. We all know who was on that team. And we were all struggling. And I remember just standing up and like, just being just pretty much saying like, like I'm used to struggling. Like you guys are holding sulking because you're not putting up the numbers you think you should be. I go, but like, I don't want to be, I don't want to have stapled to my resume being a part of the one team that didn't get Joe Torrey to the playoffs. Like that's, that's what needs to get you guys going. Not your stupid personal, your numbers are going to be there in the end. They always are. You guys are too good. I remember like literally we had knocked down drag outs on that team. And I mean, to guys like screaming and crying and, and just frustrated with what was going on. And, and, uh, you know, thankfully they righted the ship and, and we got us to the playoffs. I, that, that play, trust me, I remember sitting there thinking, I, I still wake up in cold sweats thinking no disrespect to Paul Bird, but I'm like, Paul Bird eliminated us. Like, like I have a pitch that I missed on a hit and run that I didn't hit many home runs. So that had to be in a certain perfect spot. He couldn't have walked into the plate and hand it to me any better. And it beat me. And I, I literally still wake up to this day and think, it, how does that, it, it still happens. Like I'm just, that team, uh, people forget, like we, we dismantled Cleveland that year and we were the only team that could beat Boston that year. And like, you know, Boston was really good. They ended up winning the world series, but sitting there thinking like they couldn't, I mean, even when we went in there with three, a ball pitchers, when everybody got hurt in the beginning of the year, we still won two out of three. Every time we went in there, I was going, if I go, if they win the, if the Red Sox win the world series, I'm not gonna be able to sleep for a month. And they end up doing it. And I was like, we, we were like, that we're the only team that could that could have stopped them that year, and it was it was it's still one of the biggest like letdowns of my career. That and that's one of the best like second halves that I've ever watched as a Yankee fan. And you know, you mentioned you know embracing the city a little bit once you came here. I have to know because we are on the Broadway Podcast Network. Did you and the wife catch your share of Broadway shows? You know, back then as a Yankee, or even when you would come in uh, as a road player. Uh, the only play I ever Broadway play I ever went to see was uh I have a buddy his name's Patrick Wilson he's been on 
plenty of times. And whenever Patrick was playing, I would go see it. Yes. But other than that, no, I, 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 I didn't do much uh, outside of the game. I really didn't. I was more, you know, I, I remember the only thing I ever really did was when I, I, I broke my wrist that year and Jason was dealing with uh, plantar fasciitis and he was in a boot. So between the two of us, we didn't have enough limbs to get anywhere. So it's like if we wanted food, like I had to walk to go get it, but then Jason had to carry it because he had two healthy arms and I had two healthy feet. So that was pretty much all we did. But, uh, you know, I, I just love the fact that I, I, I didn't live. My biggest mistake I made with the Mets was I didn't live in the city. I lived in Brooklyn and no disrespect to Brooklyn, but I didn't get the full New York effect and live and then living in the city. When I played for the Yankees, I was like, for a guy who didn't like being a visitor, I absolutely loved living there. I absolutely loved it. I'd walk my son to Starbucks every day. And by the third day, everybody, all the workers knew his name and they bring him his own cup and just, I, I just, you know, always having something to go do and having something to go eat and, it just was, I, I loved every single side. And I almost like beat myself up to thinking like, man, I was so wrong of my views of New York city. Now that I'm a player here. Um, and I really, like people think like, Oh, it's New York. It's hard to play there. I thought it was a cakewalk. I really did. I thought playing for the Yankees in my mind as a young player was like, man, it's so, it's gotta be so hard. And then playing for him, I was like, this is the best this is the best feeling in the world because and I never forget we had a makeup game. We had a rain out and uh, it was like a, they, basically the, the makeup day was a scheduled off day. I think it was against the blue Jays. And I remember walking by Donnie Mattingly and he's like, you got to bring your own energy today. And there was like 30,000 people there. I go, you're a spoiled brat. Like I remember playing in the Metrodome when you could hear a guy farting up her deck. Like you're such a spoiled brat. Like you can't, Oh, it's only 30,000 people here, Donnie, you poor baby. I'm like, just go sit there and just hold Joe's, you know, green tea and shut up. So that, <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of like me and me and Donnie's relationship. That was another great, that, another great thing about it was that, you know, Donnie was our bench coach that year. And obviously us playing the same position and, you know, Donnie's, Probably, if I say this to this day, I had I was lucky enough to have Kevin Long as a hitting coach, um, and then I had Donnie in L.A. with the Dodgers as a hitting coach. And if I would have had one of those two guys, if I'd have had Donnie at 21 years old, I would have about 1,500 more big league hits. Um, he's one of the the best coaches I've ever had. And the great thing about Donnie is he never made you feel like he was. Obviously, he was so much better than I was, but he never made me feel that. And he made me feel like a completely like a, like a, like a well-oiled machine when I went to the plate. Um, he never talked down to me. The only thing we did have is that we would have like we would have little smart ass kind of comments back and forth to each other on defense. You know, he'd give me like, you know, great play. If I dove for a ball and like if I dove for a line drive or something and caught it, he'd be like, Great play. I mean, he's, and he would say, like, I catch that on my feet. You had to die for it, but great play anyways. And I'd be like – and I'd walk by Joe and Donnie would sit there. I'm like, Joe, Donnie doesn't sniff that ball. And like, just to be like a kind of like a little banter back and forth and he would just kind of chuckle and smirk. But we had that relationship that was 
you know, I've ever, now that I'm into coaching and did my managing things, like I really took a lot from, from Donnie and Joe and, and, and really try to like, obviously put some spin of it on mine on there, but having those two guys, it's, uh, you know, and following them to LA and playing for them again was, you know, like, like I said, I, I've been very, I've been very lucky and very, I've been in the right place at the right time a lot of times. And I, I'm very fortunate for that. You know, you mentioned the defense, Doug. You're one of the best defenders I've ever seen over at first base. And I'm not just saying that. In my lifetime, it's really been you, Tex, and John Olerud. Um, That being said, you know, first base is primarily an offensive power position. And, you know, you certainly had a credible offensive line. Um, and, you know, you mentioned your season in New York. I think that was one of your better uh, hitting mm-hmm. seasons with the Yankees. But how tough was it for you as like kind of like a defense first first baseman, especially competing in the heart of the steroid era? Well, I mean, I had to do something different that separated me from Jason and Carlos Delgado. And, you know, the list goes on and on. I had to I, I couldn't hit 40 home runs. Um, I had to do something that was extraordinary that they couldn't do. And, um, you know, me, it was try to get on base. And I, every, you know, not only did I have to be a good defender, I had to be, I had to take hits away from other people. Um, and I knew that, um, uh, you just, you, you, I wanted to trust me. I wanted it. And I really feel like if I have a place like Yankee stadium, I think I could have hit 20 home runs there, but still 20 isn't 40. And I get that. But I think that sometimes I tried to be the on base kind of guy and just do what, be the best that, I could be and not try to be somebody else. I had a lot of years that I wasted the Mets in particular, where I tried to be somebody I wasn't. And, uh, um, you know, I, I fought trying to do more than what I possibly could do. And then if you do that, then nothing really good happens. And I I just try to be something different that, uh, my twins teams needed. We had a bunch of free swingers. So, you know, I got a, a stigma, like it always takes a lot of pitches. I'm like, well, I take a lot of pitches compared to these guys. These guys are hitting as soon as they leave, as soon as they get out of their car, they're swinging. I wasn't like that. So, but then I went to like the Red Sox and I went to the Yankees and a lot of those guys, it wasn't like they were, they were passive. They weren't looking for walks. They just didn't swing at things they didn't want to hit. And uh, I kind of, I kind of think that's kind of how I ended up with both teams was the fact that I kind of fit the mold of everybody else's approach. And I just, um, I tried to do things differently that separated me from like the upper echelon guys. You know, I know, uh, you know, speaking of your twins years, I know uh, you mentioned earlier how much you enjoyed playing there. A lot of people, however, certainly associate you as being a key member of the 04 Red Sox and, you know, catching the final ball in St. Louis. Um, Is 04 clouded in any way because of what happened with the World Series ball? And for the folks at home who may not know the whole story, can you take us through what happened between October 04 and April 2006? How much time you got? I don't think I don't think I don't think there's a long enough time to go through it all. I I will say that it 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 was clouded for some time. Um, I know I didn't wear my World World Series ring for almost a year. and it was a fight. It was a battle because I was like, you know what? The guys I played with, the guys that really matter in this, like they are the reason why I'm proud. And then all the other extra, I'm not going to let outside factors take away what we did as a group. Um, it set some, it set a sour note, uh, a taste in my mouth for, for a long time. And I mean, just 
you know, I'll give you the cliff notes as best I can. But uh, for example, everybody thinks I stole the ball. Well, I was duped by an article that was supposed to be written about something completely different. And it was a last second conversation with the writer. And next thing you know, I'm getting vilified for stealing the ball. Um, when the next day after game four, we're back at Fenway Park and MLB's authenticating baseballs and Larry Lucchino is standing right next to me, who's the president and the CEO. He's standing right next to me. And he's like, oh, is that the last out ball? I said, yeah. And he's like, cool. And the MLB guy put the sticker on the ball and turned around and I walked away. Um, you know, then I get a couple, I get a call about two months later about, hey, you know what? We heard you want to sell it. I was like, that was tongue in cheek. And no, I'm not selling it. He's like, I go, they didn't, basically what happened was Lucchino didn't want me to sell it. But yet, he wanted to charge Red Sox fans to come see it at the pro shop or the Fenway Hall of Fame. And I was like, well, okay, well, I'll tell you what. For every dollar you get for the 2005 season, you give it to the Jimmy Foundation, who's the big charity on the Green Monster. The exact quote I got back was, we don't get told what to do with our money. So I was like, okay, well, guess what? You're not getting it back now. So, uh, and then that's, and then I got it spun back on me uh, all through everybody knows it's like a, it's like an urban legend now. I mean, there's, there's people that work in Fenway that, uh, you know, I've heard it from people that still work at Fenway that I still I briefly talk to here and there. They're like, Oh, you should hear the story today. I'm like, what did I do now? You know, like, <laughs> how did, what happened this time? But it's, uh, it definitely clouded, um, it definitely clouded, uh, my my view of what we accomplished and but uh like i said once it was all said and done i was like you know what my these guys it made me feel a big part of it and, and that's all that really matters to me is that you know and they're not everybody not all red Sox fans but you know some red Sox fans really um were on my side so to speak and they understand that what happens and you know the only thing i will say is that when Papelbon, you know said his dog ate it uh, that wouldn't have worked in 04. Like, like they would have strung my dog up from the tree and hung him upside down. If that would have happened to the body, if you let the dog eat that ball. And, that, and this is what was brought up last week was a great point. And I've said this for a long time. Everybody makes a big stand up stink about the Oh, the Oh four final out of the world series. Well, Red Sox have won a world series. Granted it was 86 years ago, but the ball that really matters is the game seven, um, ALCS ball, that's history making. And no one's ever come back from down three nothing um in baseball in a series. And we did it on the road. And I, I, I think that ball, I think Derek Lowe has that ball, and they didn't say anything about Derek. So um to me, that's the history making ball, not the not the final out of the World Series. What's the coolest piece of memorabilia that you kept uh from your career? Oh man, that's a good that's a no one's ever asked me that. Um I don't know. I, I wasn't real big into like asking guys for autographs or, um, I mean, hell I've known Alex since I was 13. And I think the only thing I have signed by Alex was when he handed out, uh, bats signed to the whole team for his 500th home run. Um, I got some cool jerseys like, uh, Roger rocket signed me a, a Jersey. Um, Dan Marino was like my, and I'll be all Mike Rosioni, the guy that scored the winning goal for the 80 Olympic team in hockey. Um, I wasn't real big on 
on that type of stuff. But um, none of none of the stuff that I have. And the coolest thing I probably have is I still have. I only use two gloves on defense, and I have both of them um, in the twelve years I played. So, uh, but I was Dan Marino, Mike Rosioni, and uh, after that, not much. I mean, I I I'd have my nameplate from Yankee Stadium. I did have two seats from old Yankee Stadium. Um, just because I love that place so much, but um, not nothing, nothing too, nothing too crazy, nothing too. I, there's a lot of stuff I wish I would have gotten more of, but you know, it, you live and learn and move on. But the jerseys were cool, and it's funny I tie that into how I felt about the Yankees growing up. I wasn't a big Roger Clemens fan. I couldn't stand facing them because I, I just I didn't like anything about him. And then when he became my teammate. I thought this guy is outside of Santa Claus. This is the most likable teammate on planet earth. Um, this guy is just the best ever. And uh, um, like I said, he was, I loved everything about him. The way he came to the field, his intensity, you know, the way he was, the way he treated everybody, the way he took care of everybody. He, he was the best ever. So getting him to sign me, I'll never forget this too. Cause I was, it was my first game back after my wrist. I felt bad that year. Andy Phillips finally got a chance to play. And Andy was playing his ass off. And my first game back was September 1st. And he got hit in the wrist and broke his wrist. And I remember they tried everybody else but me. They had tried Wilson Bediment, which I thought was a complete joke. Um, they tried, you know, Miguel Cairo. And, uh, you know, I love Miggy to death. I played with him a million times. But he's not a first baseman. Um, and I'm thinking, so we're in Fenway Park. Sunday night baseball. Rockets throwing. and. Roger actually went to bat for me. Roger went in to Joe and said, if I'm pitching tonight, Doug's playing first. And um, I remember coming out of the training room, getting treatment on my wrist. And I came back out and Roger was standing there and he's like, you and me kid. And uh, I, and I said, I gotcha. And I asked him how his ankle was growing was because he couldn't really cover first. And I, I always said, I never brought, I tried never to bring religion into a baseball game in my life, but there was, I was down the left field line before that game going, I know I said I would never ask you for anything, but I'm, I'm going to put us, I'm going to drop this in your, your suggestion box upstairs. I said, if you don't give me any game the rest of my life, give me this one. You know, I've waited a long time to come back for this one. And it's Sunday night baseball. I'll never forget it. First inning, Veritech hits a bullet down the line. They're all, we're already down one, nothing. And it's Rocket against Schilling. So it's Sunday night key matchup. And I make a plate on the first baseline in the first inning. And Rocket comes over and tries to cover first. And I dive down the line, save two more runs, and and get Jason and beat Jason in the bag. And having Rocket scream at me like the whole way was like one of the coolest things in the world. And I end up getting a couple of hits that game. We end up winning three to two or something like that. And I remember walking across the field on the way to the bus. And I literally walked over to Joe and I just said, Joe, thank you. Like, thank you for tonight. And he's like, he's like, I played you for one reason because I knew you wouldn't be afraid. And I was like, I've never been afraid playing a baseball game in my entire life. And so Joe got me too, but rocket was the main reason why I played that game. And he's one of the best, if not the best ever I've ever had my, you know, as a teammate wise as, as best ever. 
Oh, you're taking me back here, Doug. So many good memories. I remember that series, September series. And uh-huh. I think you guys, Yankees won game one on Friday. Mm-hmm. Saturday, we lost the day game. And then that Sunday night, Jeter hit the big home run. You were flashing mm-hmm. le- leather. And that was like Cl- yeah. Rockets, like last great game that I remember him pitching. That was, it was, that was the last like really healthy game he pitched for us. Oh, my God. That was unreal. Let me ask you, when that season ended, you, did you guys know that Torrey was done? We pretty much knew that if we didn't win the whole thing, he was gone. Um, and we didn't think it was right. Obviously, as a player, you're like, Joe has, like, he did his best possible. I don't care who, you, I don't care if we had Casey Stengel. That year had so much crap going on that he, I've always said this about Joe. Joe was the best at diffusing a bomb before it was ever lit. And Joe always didn't say a whole ton, didn't say a lot, but when he did, it was always spot on and dead on accurate. He always, I remember even in LA, like we'd won seven, eight games in a row and he'd come in and say something to us. And he'd be like, it's coming. You guys aren't playing the way you should be playing. You're not doing. And he was right. And like, even that year, to hold that squad together between – we had new strength and conditioning guy. Every pitcher blew their hamstring out. Um, Bobby was struggling. Alex was the only one that was keeping us even remotely close. Alex had a, a, one of the best years in Major League history. Um, Jason got hurt. I got hurt. Johnny Damon was a train wreck. Um, you know, then the Alex – and the Alex fiasco with the stripper in Toronto was like, I swear I was brought there for one reason, just to do the media, to keep him off. Of it. Like I had to answer more questions for Al than I did for myself that year. And I'm like, a couple of times I got remember George King and I was like, I don't know. Go ask him. He's right over there. I'm like, if he doesn't answer it, just laugh at him. I go, then, then blast him. I go, I know I actually play on this team too. And like, you know, but in uh, joke and jest and all that stuff. But I was like, you know, it just was a complete I – mean, we were god-awful in May, and then we got hot. But to keep that team together, and the whole thing was like – and we understood. I understood the complementary pieces to the, when the Yankees – if you don't win the whole thing, they shuffle the deck. And um, I just wanted one more crack. And I, obviously, we felt like Joe got a raw deal. And I will say this. When Joe went to L.A., I, was, I looked at him. I was like, I don't even know you anymore. Like you look 30 years younger. You're doing state farm commercials. You're laying on a surfboard. I'm like, I don't know what the hell happened to you. Cause like, you know, the whole, like Joe always had his horses and you know, his stuff and it's going on. And I'm like, man, like, I don't even, I drop it. I don't even know you anymore. Like, who are you? Like, I didn't, I thought you were done. Now you look like you're 40 years old. You're laying on the beach on a surfboard. Like we have a job to do skip. You know, like, let's get, let's get, but it, it was great. I remember him calling me, uh, spring training. He called me one day. I, I was unsigned and, um, was probably going back to Pittsburgh. And, uh, he called, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, actually I'm on the boat. And he's like, well, you're fine. And I'm like, for what I do now, like what I, what I do wrong now, I don't even play for you anymore. What I do wrong is like, well, you're fine. I'm finding you because you're late and you're not in spring training. He's like, get your ass on a plane to LA and to Arizona. You're going to spring training with us. And I'm like, I'll see you tomorrow, Skip. And uh, that's pretty much the relationship him and I had. Cause 
the funniest story of all of it was Joe wrote that book the year before, right? Um, and I end up hearing bits and pieces of it because Cash really wanted me to be a Yankee. Joe did not want me to be a Yankee because it was Bernie Williams or me. And obviously, Bernie's a hell of a lot better player than I ever was and did a lot more for the Yankees than, of course, Joe would want Bernie. I mean, hell, I would want Bernie. Um, but it just the way the team broke down, it just didn't work out that way. And um, I remember the first day of spring training walking up to Joe and I said, Joe, I know you're not used to having the below average player, but I'm going to bust my ass for you. And it kind of set the tone for us. And the joke of it leads into where in L.A. he was saying like, you know, the typical first day of spring training speech where keep everything in house and blah, blah, blah. And we'll work on it internally. And I just it's like. Any of my veterans have anything to say? And I was like, I raised my hand. I'm like, so let me get this straight. You want us to keep our stuff in-house, but if you write a book and blast one of your players, it's okay? Is that how that works? And he's like, and then he looked at me and he goes, I knew I shouldn't have brought you here. And then he just <laughs> walked out and then he walked out. <laughs> so it was like, here's a guy again, like here's a guy that always looking from afar was stoic and, you know, like the godfather of baseball. But yet, to know like deep down inside you can cut up with him and, and be, he was just so much more relaxed. And I mean, I feel for everybody who manages the Yankees. I really do because they don't want to hear, well, it's a Wednesday and you know, some kid pitched the game of his life and stuck it up our butt. They don't care. That young guy might be the next 20 game winner. I mean, think about back when the Yankees lost to the Marlins. Little did you know that, the three guys you ran into were arguably the three best power pitchers of that generation. Um, you know, I, the list goes on and on. You, you, like you just go back. I mean, I do the same thing with my twins teams. It's like they wanted to blow the stadium up when we walked in there in 2003 and won game one. I'm like, but if you break down that 2003, like Minnesota twins team, or even the 2002 team, you look back and you look back at AJ Brzezinski, 17 year big leaguer, Latroy Hawkins pitched for 20 plus years. David Ortiz, Shannon Stewart, Torrey Hunter, Jock Jones, Corey Kosky, Johan Santana was our middle guy in 2002. You know, and like you, Brad Radke, Eric Milton, the list goes on. Like you look at that team now, you're like, just because no one's heard of us, didn't mean we weren't very good. You know, so it's like, but Yankee fans, if they don't know the other guy's name, they expect us to win every time, which is, of course, we get that. But like to go through that and to continually win, like, like I, I, Joe did a phenomenal job and was there ever going to be the right way unless Joe retired to, to walk away from a Yankee uniform? The only way like it was, that's just the only, there's, there was never a, a right way to do it because Joe has been there so long, but I love to see the old timers games and stuff like that. When guy, they bring guys back and uh, that's a, that's a, it's a uniform again, that there's, there's every other uniform and then there's Yankee uniform. It's just like, there's a world series winner. And then there's like the 2004, you know, we didn't get, just win a World Series. Like that one was a big one. So, uh, like I said, I've been lucky and I've been in the right place at the right time a lot of times. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Doug, it's so nice to hear you speak so positively about New York. And just, I know how much you still love the game of baseball. And I know recently that you were even managing in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. Um... Do you want to stay involved in the game? You know, now that you're in retirement, would you go back to managing or coaching on the minor league level? Would do you want to do it? Obviously, on the major league level, why don't you give me some insight on that? Um, I've actually interviewed for a couple ba- a big league managers' jobs. I was in, I was a finalist for the Twins' job um, when they hired Paul Molitor. Um, I've been in consideration for a couple other ones. Um, I would love to. I love my. I, I I've won. I think three minor league championship rings as a manager. Um, the baseball is in a weird place right now uh, between, you know, the whole bring in the, you know, I, I call them the internet gurus who know everything. They have their own hitting instruction place. That's great and fine and dandy, but you know, with the whole, they're cutting back the minor leagues and not, it's, it's a weird place right now. Um, I loved coaching. I, I basically had that whole entire Minnesota twins team that's there now. I had them all the way up. Um, my first year was a you know, Donnie Mattingly was a guy that got me into coaching um, uh, as a hitting coach for the Dodgers. So I had Corey Seager, Jock Peterson, the list goes on and on that a lot of those guys that were there, like Corey was my first pretty much guy I ever worked with. Um, <clears throat> so they still text me and still make fun of me actually. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy coaching. I, I really do. I, I, um, I've always said like I was lucky enough to play as long as I played. Like I felt, I still feel this way. I was born to teach. I was born to, I was born to do the coaching thing. Um, I'm actually coaching my high school, my son's high school team right now. Um, that's challenging. Uh, you know, it's just being able to relate to some kids that don't really have a lot, but the same token, like I hope that one day I get a shot. I would love to, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but, I, I really enjoy helping, you know, I've had a lot of kids having that ability to say, Hey, guess what? Come in here. You got to talk to you is uh, you're going to the big leagues. I've had, I've been fortunate enough to do that about 15 to 20 times. And uh, it really is a cool, cool experience. Cause you know, that's, that's a, a moment in their life that, that they're never, ever going to forget. They're going to tell everybody how it broke down. So you try to keep it as special as you possible can, as you possibly can. You know, Doug, honestly, I could sit here and talk baseball with you all day. This is so awesome. Um, There is one segment that we do to wrap every show here on Break a Bat, and it's a chance for the audience to learn a little bit more about you. And listen, you accomplished a lot in your career. Now it's about to get tough. I want you to visualize yourself in the ninth inning, two outs, games on the line. Araldis Chapman is on the mound throwing 105. Uh, You got to think quick, man. I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind. How does that sound? Perfect. Awesome. Let's do it. Favorite New York City meal? Sushi. If you could be the lead in one Broadway musical, what would it be? Wow. Oh, man. 
Oklahoma. Great choice. All right. I love that one. Okay. Uh, most uncomfortable Jeter and A-Rod moment? Every, every pop-up that went to the left side of the infield. <laughs> because that's some funny shit right there. Because, like, literally, like, I'll never forget this. This is a quick little antidote to that statement. It was... 2007, obviously, Alex had a, his down year was, what, 37 homers and 116 RBIs. He's complaining about having a down year. Um, so, like, they announced the starting lineups. And batting fourth, Alex, third baseman, Alex Rodriguez. Place goes nuts, right? Give him standing ovations. For opening day, we're all excited. First inning, there's a pop-up foul. And Alex misses it. And it wasn't 20, what, 10 minutes after the standing ovation. And I was like, that's a great step. Way to bring him back into reality, Al. Because like, Alex hated pop-ups. Like, it's kryptonite. And Derek knew it. So, like, the ball would go up, and Derek wouldn't go after it because he knows that it would make Alex uncomfortable. Like, literally, Alex, a pop-up would go up, and I'd look over, and Alex would look at me, and Derek would look at me. I'm like, I'm not going to get that. Like, I, like you're right there. You go get it. But, like, Alex is kryptonite. So, it was – that's, like, Derek's way of being like, oh, you, you think your shit don't stink? Go make an ass out of yourself on this pop-up. Like, that's exactly 100% in-game. That's what would happen. So that's that's about as awkward a moment. It's like, as soon as the ball leaves the bat, there's a pop-up going to the left side of the field that Derek is not going to move for. So Alex that planks is, it. Yeah. <laughs> Best answer we've ever had to that question. I love it. Wow. <laughs> Here's a good one. Uh, all-time favorite film? Wow. Uh, Scarface. Fact about Doug Mankiewicz that would surprise people the most. I love playing Call of Duty. The God guy. Wow. Okay. That does surprise me. <laughs> I suck at it, but I suck at it, but I like, I love playing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do much killing on it. I get killed a lot. Uh, I die a lot in that game. <laughs> Your teammates that would make the best Timon and Pumbaa in The Lion King on Broadway? Ooh. Jim Tomei. Wow. I'm going to have to think about this one. And Manny Ramirez. All right. So I think that Manny, is Manny the meerkat, the little one, or is he the big one? Yes, Manny's Manny's the little one. All right, here's here's an interesting one because you played on some great teams that didn't win. Which was the best team you played on that didn't win the World Series? Oh, 2007, 2007 Yankees. I thought you I would say, say them are the O two Twins. I wasn't sure who you were going to say. I, I was going to. I'd go back and say it. I'd say that's a tie. That's a tie. Two thousand. The, the two thousand. I'll go one better. The two thousand. I thought the two thousand three team was better than the two thousand two team. That's the year that they brought over Shannon Stewart. That's right. Good friend of the show, by the way. Yep. I think I'd be a tie between 2007 Yankees and the 2002 slash three twins. Love that. Love that. Proudest moment of your career? Oh, uh, gold medal. And lastly, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Don't eat yellow snow. <laughs> it's coming handy, huh? That, yeah, that, yes. You don't have to worry about that down in Florida, Doug. Not Come anymore, on. but no. <laughs> um, no, that's that's the first thing he said. The first thing that came to my mind, that was pretty much uh, 
I could give you like the whole like cliche one that I always think of, but like that was, uh, I always say, don't eat yellow snow. Absolutely love it, man. Dude, this was such an honor and a privilege, Doug. I enjoyed this as much as any baseball conversation we've ever had, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This stuff, uh, I I can talk about this stuff all day. Well, you know what? We'll have to have you back. Hopefully, uh, this October, the Yankees will be playing in the uh, postseason, and uh, we could talk some more baseball with you because uh, this, this one was really special. Absolutely. For sure. Well, thanks again, Doug. And thanks to all the folks uh, listening at home. This is Al Malafronte signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast and you can also find the broadway podcast network on instagram at broadway podcast network it's been so great having you here with us today and we'll see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.